Well, hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 6. I know we're taking up the, the offering as well during this time. So Acts chapter 6, if you brought a Bible with you, if not, uh, the verses are going to be on the screen, so don't worry. But listen, if you're here today and, and you don't have a, a Bible, you don't have a kind of a personal copy of that, or maybe the one you have is, is old or it got rained on, you can't read half of it, or it's, it's like written in some foreign language you don't really kind of understand. And so listen, you stop by our Welcome Center because we want you to make sure you can walk home today uh, with a copy of God's Word because it's so important that we spend time uh, being in that. Um, today we want to conclude a series that we've been in called uh, Jesus People. And, and so we've been looking at this series and really looking at, at a couple different things. And walking through the first seven chapters, we're going to actually end in, in the first part of chapter 8, of the New Testament book of Acts. And we've been looking at just this idea, and this big idea, that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The, the book of Acts tells the story of the birth and the growth of the very, very first Christian church. And, and why that truth is so important is because there are times in my life where I don't feel qualified to do what I feel God's asking me to do. Or I don't know if I can really do everything God wants me to do. And when I come to those times and I talk to other people who feel the same way, it's important for us to come back to this truth that God uses not just the extraordinary people among us, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things through. And when we take, when we say yes to God, no matter where we find ourselves, God can do miracles through our life. He can make the impossible possible. He can use us to do incredibly cool and amazing things. And so today we want to look at a man named Stephen, who if you've grown up in church, you probably know his story, but we want to come back to it as a man that God used in a really incredible way, not just in his life, but in his death as well. But before we get to there, let's start Acts chapter 6 verse 1. And kind of catch up to where uh, we, we left off. And so we're focusing on the, the believers, the, the Christians in a town called Jerusalem. Here's what it says. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained that the Hebraic Jews, because of their widows, they complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Life-changing, Right? Right? Why would we start there? We're going to tell this great story about this guy that died for his faith. Why do we start with there being an argument in the church? Because I want you to understand something. There is never going to be a perfect church. There is no perfect church out there. So if you're here today and you're a guest and you're like, man, I'm just trying to find the perfect church. It's never going to happen until a place called heaven. Even these first Jewish believers, these first believers, right? These first followers of Jesus, the ones that we've been looking at saying, man, they said yes to God and look what God did through their life. Chapter six begins with a church argument. People are twisted. They're upset. They're upset because their widows aren't getting the same amount of food as another group of widows. And so they come to the church leaders and they're like, hey, we've got a problem we've got to solve. How are we going to solve this? And here's what happens. Leadership is not the absence of a problem. Leadership is addressing the problem and doing something about it. And so if you look at a church and you're kind of like, man, you know, this church that I'm a part of, or even our church are like, man, there's some things I wish we could do different, or, you know, maybe you don't like something or something like that. Listen, it's so easy to get frustrated, but the reality is this, is that as imperfect people, we're going to face times, we're going to argue about some stuff and maybe some things that aren't as important as other things. But we got to address it and we got to figure it out. I, I was, I did a wedding yesterday and at the rehearsal, 
I was or at the reception, I was sitting next to across from a lady who goes to another church. I know the pastor, real good friends. And we were talking not about her church, not about our church, but just some people that she knows that she invites to church, but they want nothing to do with the church. And it all comes back to a bad experience they had about a church fight or a church mistake or something. Somebody did something to somebody and, and they gave up on church because the church was not perfect. Well, I want to tell you this, the church will never be perfect, but we've got to do our best to do what God's called us to do in the midst of not always getting things right. And faithfulness in the church and to a church is an important, important thing, even when we find things in the church that we don't 100% like. And so here's what they do. They, they say, okay, listen, you got this group of widows not getting the same amount of food as this group of widows. What are we going to do with that? So the, uh, the apostles, the church leaders get together, they come up with a plan. And here was their plan. Look at verse 3. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to talk about the other people that they chose. So they addressed the problem in this way. The leaders, the the apostles of the church, said, listen, we're trying to do all this stuff. We can't do it all. We're trying to organize the food distribution, but it's not working. So in order for us to do that, we'll have to give up some other things. So listen, let's call people from within the church to do the ministry that God's calling them to do. And then the leaders of the church will focus on what God is calling them to do. And so they begin to understand that the church is not about a select group of people serving everybody else, but the church is about answering the call to ministry and everybody plays a part. Now, specifically here, they chose seven men who they use this word that we have now called deacons. And and deacons in some churches play different roles, but deacons ultimately is this idea of a servant. It's one who serves. And so the church, even though it was imperfect, addressed the problem, came up with a solution. And here's what happened. Look at verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So God used an imperfect church to grow the kingdom. Isn't that incredible? God doesn't need a perfect church because there is no perfect church. What God needs is a church that is faithful and committed to the mission. And we see throughout that story that God called faithful people. And one person we're introduced to is this man named Stephen. He was one of the seven that was selected in this time to handle this specific ministry and take on leadership within the church. And then it goes on to talk more about him. Look at verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave as he spoke. So we're, we're, we're pointed to this man named Stephen who was just an ordinary person like us. But we see time and time again, both earlier in verse 5, and then also in this verse, that that he was full of the Holy Spirit. We talked several weeks ago that the only way that we can be used in incredible, mighty ways by God is through God's power in our life. And Stephen was being used by God in a powerful way because he was full of the Holy Spirit and God's power. 
in his life. Now he begins to do these wondrous signs. He's probably healing people. He's speaking. He's teaching. All this stuff's happening. And opposition arises. And it's opposition from a select synagogue or, or a Jewish church that was going on in that day. And it says that they began to argue with him. They begin to oppose him. But God gave him such great wisdom and power that they couldn't stop him doing what God was calling him to do. And they couldn't win an argument with him. So here's what they decided. Look at verse 11. It says that they secretly persuaded some of the men, or they secretly persuaded some of the men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Verse 12, so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy, the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So if this sounds familiar as a story, it's because it's the exact same thing that happened to Jesus. That the religious leaders got together. They didn't like what Jesus was preaching. They didn't like what Stephen was preaching. And so instead of trying to find something against them, because they could find nothing against them, they begin to make up stories. And it says that they got together and they convinced people to lie about Jesus. Well, in the same way, they're convincing people to lie before the Sanhedrin, the high council, ruling council of the, uh, of the Jewish people, to lie before him and say that he's saying all these blasphemous negative things about the law and about the temple and about the Jewish faith. And he's proclaiming this Jesus and saying that Jesus is the Messiah and all this kind of stuff. And so they begin, because they can't find something real to attack him, him on, they begin to make up stuff. And then they bring him before this high council and they confront him with these accusations. And Stephen's sitting there listening to everything being said about him. And, and this is how he appeared. Look at verse 15. It says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin look in, looked intently at Stephen. They were wanting to see what's his reaction. Does he look guilty? Does he, is he getting angry? Like, you know, how's he reacting to all this stuff being said about him? And it says that they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So as they look at him, he was so full of God's spirit that even his countenance reflected a holiness. That he wasn't getting twisted. He wasn't getting defensive. He wasn't getting angry or upset. He was just at peace. Not about you, but I don't like it when people talk about me in a negative way, right? I don't like it when you, did you hear so-and-so said this about you? Like, I, I don't like that. And I've been in some situations, and there were business meetings at an old church, where you were standing up there, and everybody decides, if you grew up in a kind of more traditional Baptist church, business meetings were like, you know, round one, round two, round three of a boxing match sometimes, right? And so I've been in those settings where, you know, they're sitting there, and these people are talking about the leadership or doing that kind of stuff, all the stuff that we don't like about the church. And, and I remember sitting there, and I remember one time this guy was attacking me because I wanted to hire a student worship guy. And he said, well, if we hire the student worship guy, well, what is that going to do? Because he doesn't do a whole lot anyway. And so I'm standing at the microphone thinking, okay, Jesus, help me, right? And my pastor walked up, and he goes, step back, step back right? I didn't look like, I didn't have the face of an angel in that moment, right? But Stephen, he had the face of an angel. He had a peace about him and we knew what was happening to him. 
And so in verse, look at chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? Now it's Stephen's turn to speak. It's Stephen's opportunity now to defend himself before this council, to call out all the lies that are being spoken against him. But instead of that, Stephen doesn't defend himself. He doesn't take the opportunity to try to fight for his honor. He begins to preach to the people. And we're going to have time to read it because it goes all the way through to the, to the very end of chapter 7. But basically, here's what he does. He goes all the way back to the story of a guy named Abraham. And if you know the story of the Bible, Abraham was called by God to follow him, to leave his homeland, to go to where God was going to lead him to go. And God made this promise that through Abraham, through your descendants, I will bring forth a nation, the nation of Israel. And that nation will bless the world and I will bless them. So Abraham was the father of the Jewish faith. And so Stephen begins with Abraham. He traces through the story of Moses and the Jewish people being held captive in Egypt for 400 years and Moses delivering them, crossing the Red Sea, all that kind of stuff. And then he says that even though God did all this, your response was that you built an idol and began to worship a golden calf and you ignored God who was doing the work. And then he begins to continue to trace this, the history and the story of the Jewish people. And he'll talk about what God did, and then he'll rebuke them and remind them how even though God was doing some amazing things, their response was to miss what God was doing and to turn their back on God time and time again. And so he gets to kind of the, the big climactic moment of his, his, his response. And look, so look at uh, chapter 7, verse 51. He says this, You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised, and you're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you betrayed and murdered him. He's talking about Jesus here. He's now you betrayed and you murdered him. You've received the law, all the word, all the, 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 the message of God, right, that was given through angels, but you've not obeyed it. So Stephen, in that moment where he needs to defend himself, says, I'm not worried about myself. I'm worried about the fact that you're not following the truth. That you have this religion, but you miss what God was doing in this whole story. And he says, you're stiff-necked, you're stubborn. Is that throughout your whole history, you look at what God's doing and you decide to do the opposite thing. To the point where you even kill the prophets God sends to try to correct you. And even to the fact that you killed his very own son, Jesus Christ. You put him to death because he was changing your perspective and your power structure and your control over your life. And he says, listen, that you may be circumcised, which was the outward symbol of being committed to God. But he says, your heart and your ears are not circumcised. He's basically saying, listen, you have an outward perception of real, of religion, of righteousness, of obedience, but your hearts are wicked. He says, you know all of God's commands, but you don't obey them. It says verse 54 that when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. 
But Stephen, now check this out again, full of the Holy Spirit. It's a constant thing we hear about his life. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. God gives Stephen a a vision. And he sees Jesus in heaven, standing next to the throne of God, just as he had promised. It says this in verse 57. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him, which means they began to throw rocks and boulders at his body and his head to kill him. And it says, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. When he had said this, he died. So Stephen This man full of God's spirit, serving God, living for God, living for Jesus, proclaiming the message and the truth of Jesus, is falsely accused. He's brought before the ruling council. And when given the opportunity to talk about himself, he points him back to Jesus. And it cost him his very life. See, we've been looking at characteristics we see in the lives of these people. These ordinary people that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is using in extraordinary ways. And and today I want to talk about what, what I see, one of the many things I see in Stephen. And it's this, is that Stephen and, and, and many Jesus people, many of these followers, they're faithful. They're faithful. And that if we want to be used by God in the powerful, incredible ways he wants to, we need to understand that that Jesus' people, his followers, they're faithful, that we pursue being faithful to God no matter what might come our way. You know, look at the word faithful, and it means this, steady in allegiance and affection, loyal, constant. See, Stephen was faithful not just in life, but he was also faithful in death. But I believe the reason why Stephen was faithful in death was because Stephen had been a person faithful in life. When times were easier, he was faithful. And that easiness and that faithfulness throughout time allowed him to be faithful when times got most difficult. And his faithfulness is something that as I look at in my life and I see throughout the life of this early church, God used their faithfulness in incredible ways. And God wants for us, God desires for us as followers of Jesus, if we made that decision in our life, he wants you and he, he wants me to be people that pursue faithfulness. In Second Chronicles 16.9, it says this, it says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God looks for those who are faithful. And his response to those who are faithful is he gives them strength to continue to be faithful. He look, God is looking for faithful people 
for faithful families, for faithful churches to strengthen and encourage and to use in powerful and in lasting ways, just like he used Stephen. But the question is, is are we willing to pursue faithfulness to God, even if it costs us everything? Stephen is what's known as a martyr. We don't know what's known as a martyr. That word is actually means witness. You know, we talk about martyrs and we've really adopted that word for those who die for their faith. At its core, it means witness. And the reason why we adopt that for those who die for their faith is, is that the very witness of God and Jesus in their life, they, they carry that witness all the way up until their very last breath. And God is looking for those faithful people who will not only be faithful in the good times and the easy times, but be faithful in the hard times. People who God wants to take and strengthen and empower to do the work that he has for us to do. He's looking for us to be faithful. So in the time that we have left, here's what I want to do. I want to I share with you six things that jumped out to me about faithfulness. About what we see in scripture, about this idea of the power of faithfulness, what we see through Stephen's life of, of being faithful to God and the things that I believe can help us to pursue and understand and know more about this call that God has for you and has for me and every single one of us to live faithful lives to him. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. We'll go through them pretty quick. The first one is this, is that faithfulness doesn't guarantee an easy life. I want, I want to start there because we have to start there. Because faithfulness doesn't guarantee an easy life. Listen, there are people who preach and on TV and churches and books and stuff like that. And they, they preach this to you. They say that if you're faithful to God, then God's faithfulness to you means that your life will be easy. That you'll get everything you want. You'll get every possession that you want. If your faith is big enough, if you you're, you're do all the right things, then God is going to bless you with an easy life, with a life that is just full of all these great things that you want. The problem is, is that the Bible doesn't teach us that. Now, the Bible teaches that God blesses us and God gives us incredible blessings. But the Bible never promises that a faithful life is going to be an easy life. I mean, Stephen is, is listed here, and his story is told as an example of incredible faithfulness. But I would venture to say that we wouldn't say his life was easy. He died for his faith. And see, Jesus even tells us and told his disciples that life is not going to be easy when you're faithful. Look at John 16, 1 through 2. He said, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. He said, listen, there's a danger and the danger is this, is that you're going to follow me, and when times get hard, you're going to turn away from me. He says, but I want, to, I want to tell you all this because I want you to understand that being faithful to me is not always going to be easy. He says, they'll put you out of the synagogue, which was the, the Jewish church, local church. He said, in fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. Jesus says, listen, you're going to be opposed by people in your life who actually think they're doing God a favor. He says, but I want you to be ready so you don't fall away. Because I don't know about you, but, but my experience has been when, when I take a step toward faithfulness, things oftentimes get harder. Like when I, when I take a step to, you know what, I really want to increase the amount of time I'm spending daily praying to God. It's like 
the craziest week that next week, trying to find that time. Or it's, you know what, hey, listen, I, I want to I be more faithful with my finances and manage those things better. And so I'm going to commit to giving or I'm going to do this and that. And then all of a sudden something breaks. Or kids walk up and they go, hey, I forgot to tell you two months ago, I need $1,000. And you're like, sorry, you know, because kids have a way of doing that, right? Or like, you know, you're trying to do the right thing. And it's like it just gets harder. Or maybe like in your, in your relationships, you're like, man, I want, I want to commit to being a better parent. And it's like, you know, like, like a demon possesses your kid in that moment. You're like, I don't even know if I like him right now. Right? Like it, when things get harder, faithfulness for me is oftentimes linked in that. And the challenge is, is that if I think faithfulness is going to mean stuff gets easier, then I'm going to question God's direction in my life because things are getting harder. But the reality is, is that faithfulness doesn't guarantee an easy life. In fact, oftentimes it'll bring opposition. And we saw that in, in Stephen's life in, in Acts 6-9. It says opposition arose. Listen, when you choose to be faithful to God, something and somebody is going to oppose that in some way. It's going to happen. Now, it's not going to mean that everything has to fall apart, the world's going to end, but you're going to face some opposition. And so if faithfulness doesn't guarantee an easy life, here's the thing it does guarantee, though, is it guarantees that nothing in life will be wasted. It guarantees that nothing in life will be wasted. So it doesn't guarantee an easy life, but it guarantees that nothing in life is wasted. Romans 8, 28 tells us this, that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for him. That God says, listen, if you're faithful to me, not everything that happens to you is going to be easy. Not everything that happens to you is going to be good. But God says, in your faithfulness, I will take even the bad things, even the, the evil things, even the hurtful things. And if you trust me, I'll bring about a better, a better and greater good because of that, because of your faithfulness. Now, what he's not saying is that everything that happens to us is a good thing. Listen, there is evil in the world. There is despair in the world. There's destruction in the world. There's hurt and abuse in our world. And none of that, God would say, is good. But what God promises is not that that's a good thing, but he promises I can take that horrible thing, and if you trust me, I can bring about something better. Because nothing in your life is going to be wasted. No tear is going to be wasted. No trouble is going to be wasted. No hardship is going to be wasted. No, no brokenness is going to be wasted. God says, I'm going to do something with that. Because God is good. And what God does is good. And he does good things out of even bad things for his glory and for our blessing. And we've got to trust him. Because see, even in Stephen's death, the tragedy that it is, God did some pretty cool things. It says this in Acts 7.58. There's this little caveat in there in this story of Stephen being, being killed. And it says, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And later it goes on to say, and Saul approved of their killing Stephen. Why would you pick out one person in the crowd and talk about it? Well, because if you know the story, you know that what God was going to do through Saul's life was going to be an incredible thing. But just a couple chapters later, Saul, who was going to be, and who was the one who was leading the persecution against all these Jesus followers, 
actually puts his faith and trust in Jesus. And God changes his name to Paul. Because he says, I want you to know that you're going to be called something different now. And this Paul becomes the leading church planner of the New Testament. And actually writes the majority of what we have now as the New Testament. These letters back to churches. And see, I think why Luke wants us to understand that Saul was there at Stephen's death is he wants us to understand that even that's not wasted. Because God used Stephen's death and what Saul saw in the faithfulness of these believers that when he became real, when he understood the the reality of who Jesus was, it gave him something to look back to. Nothing's wasted. Third thing is this, is that faithfulness provides hope in our times of trouble. Faithfulness provides hope in our times of trouble. What did that verse in 2 Chronicles say? It said God is looking for those who are faithful to do what? To strengthen them. And God wants to give us hope. Look what he did for Stephen, Acts 7, 55 to 56. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So God gave Stephen a vision and a picture that said to him, listen, have hope because what you believe and what you're proclaiming actually is true. That Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And not only that, but Jesus is standing, waiting to welcome you to be with the Father in heaven. Because there's no waste to your death. That your death is actually going to open up eternal life for you. And he gives him that perception, that picture, that vision to bring him hope in the midst of a troubled time. And that's what God will do for us. God will bring us hope in our darkest circumstances. Psalm 23, 4 says this, that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God brings hope in our faithfulness, even in difficult and troubled times. God does that. It's not always a vision of heaven and of Jesus, but God will use other believers. He'll use people in your your church. He'll use people in your life. He'll use scripture and the spirit inside of you to just give you that hope. And that's what faithfulness will do for us. Fourth thing is this, is that faithfulness gives people a living picture of Jesus. Faithfulness gives people a living picture of Jesus. You know, I think what the world needs is a lot less Christians telling other people how to live and Christians who are actually living like Jesus. Because the people I talk to that want nothing to do with the church, that want nothing to do with Jesus, nine times out of ten, it's not some theological difference. It's not some big idea that they don't trust the Bible. It's the fact that they know too many Christians who don't act like they're Christians. Or they see Christians who profess Jesus, who have this outwardness of their faith in terms of, hey, I believe in this, but then they don't do anything different with the life they've been given to them. And they're like, well, why am I going to sleep, you know, get up early on Sunday to go do something that doesn't seem to be making a big difference in your life? And then they see Christians hurting other Christians, hurting other people. And it's like, why would I want anything to do with that? But see, our faithfulness gives people a living picture of who Jesus is. It gives them a flesh and blood example of what it means when Jesus said to love the God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's why faithfulness is important not just for us, but it's important for what God wants to do through us to other people. And see, we see in Stephen's 
life and even in his death that, that he took this idea literally. But look what he, look what he says in, in Acts 7, 59 through 60. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. And he prayed these things. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The last words that Stephen shared during this time of his murder, of his death, was a reaffirming that he believed in Jesus and trusted that he was going to go spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And he offered forgiveness to the very people that were killing him. You don't forgive the people who are hurting you unless you're trying to live like Jesus. Because it's not a natural thing to do. And what's so crazy about it is, is that when you go back and you look at the story and the account of how Jesus died, when Jesus died on the cross, Stephen was a living example of some of the very things that Jesus did. Look at a couple. Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. When Jesus died on the cross, when he was being killed by the crowd, by the religious people in his day, he said, forgive them. God, forgive them. When it became time for Stephen's death, what did Stephen say? So I'm going to be like Jesus. Father, will you forgive them? Jesus also said in Luke 23, 46, says he called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen said the very similar, very same thing as his life was being taken from him. See, Stephen's faithfulness was to be like Jesus, even in dying like Jesus. And because of that, he provided that living example. Five is this, is that faithfulness is also used by God to accomplish his plans. That God doesn't need our faithfulness to do what he wants to do because God can do whatever he wants. God created the world with a word. But God uses our faithfulness to accomplish his greater and bigger plans. Look what happens after, after Stephen's death as the story continues just for a couple of verses. It says this, And Saul approved of their killing him. And then on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. When Saul be, but then Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in a prison. So Stephen's death marked the beginning of an even broader and greater persecution. It was as if they said, you know what, we took care of one of them. Let's just go ahead and take care of all the rest of them. And Saul led this great persecution. And it was so great, it was so severe that the believers in that church, those Jesus people, had to flee their homes and they scattered. But where did they scatter to? It says they scattered to Judea and Samaria. Now why is that important? Because if we go all the way back, to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus told the people the plan. And here's what he said to them. He said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. See, 
God scattered the people to the very places God wanted to send the people. But here's the reality, is that sometimes God has to make us uncomfortable to get us comfortable with his call to step out in faith. Sometimes God has to make us uncomfortable so we get comfortable with what God wants to do in our life. Because see, if we stay comfortable, if we stay just kind of, this is, I'm good, I'm here, this is kind of what I do, you know, it's so easy to allow that comfort to keep us from what God really wants to do. But God had to make it uncomfortable. But God used his faithfulness of Stephen and others to get the people to where they needed to be. And so God uses our faithfulness to accomplish the bigger plans. You have no idea what God may be doing in your life right now. You have no idea the bigger plan or the bigger picture. But you'll allow God to use you. And the last one is this. Is that faithfulness is also a catalyst for the continued faithfulness of others. That faithfulness is a catalyst for the continued faithfulness of others. What I mean by that, it's this. Is that Stephen's faithfulness gave others the power to be faithful. See, when when we see faithful people, it makes us want to be faithful. When we see the faithfulness, and I I was studying this week and and praying and preparing, when I read this story of Stephen over and over and over again this weekend, it made me in my heart want to be a more faithful person. Because I saw his faithfulness, and it made me want to be more faithful. That when we see the faithfulness of somebody else, it does something in us, and it makes us want to be a more faithful person. It's like a catalyst in our life. And all the people are sent out. They're, they're spread out. And, and here's what they did. You know, did they give up in the persecution? Did they shut up about Jesus? Did they hide? Did they run? Listen, they, they went to where they had to go. But here's what they did. Look at verse 4 of chapter 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They were faithful. And I got to believe they were faithful because they saw the faithfulness of men and women like Stephen. You know, I talked about growing up playing sports and, you know, if you, uh, if you know you played sports, but I played basketball for the most part. And, and you know, there's something that happens on a, on a team in a, in a game where, you know, you're, you're in a game and you're all, you're, you're playing and then like the other team just goes on a run. You know, they get some turnovers, they get some steals, and they, they just start racking up the points. Or maybe your team kind of goes cold. You can't make a shot. They can't, they're making all the shots. It seems like everything is kind of going against your team. And when that happens, there's something that kind of begins to, to sit in the back of your mind. You start, you start thinking, well, it, it, the game's over. We're not going to win. And that, that doubt of winning kind of begins to, to creep in. And then you can watch. It's like the air and the momentum and the energy of the team who's on the other side of that, that run and that, that the momentum from the, the other team. Like they begin to just kind of like lose their energy. They're still playing. They're still working. But it's like they've accepted in some ways that, you know what? We're not going to win this game. But then what will happen is somebody on the team decides they're not ready to give up. And it might be in a timeout and they're yelling at everybody and they're firing everybody up and they're getting in people's faces or the coach brings you over and calls a timeout. 
and brings you in and just, you know, just encourages you in the way that only coaches can by yelling in your face, right? Or maybe somebody's out there and it's like all of a sudden they just decide, I'm going to take this game over. They start making shots. They start stealing the ball. And it's like as this one person makes a decision that, you know what, it's not done yet. It's like everybody else begins to feed off that one person and they begin to rise back up. And then all of a sudden that team makes a run and they come back and they win the game or they, they make it close. And, and it was because of the faithfulness of one person. And it led the whole team to rise up. See, the power of faithfulness isn't just about your life and my life. It's about how our faithfulness impacts the lives of other people as well. You see, what the world needs is churches who are filled with people who say, I'm going to be faithful even if nobody else is. I'm not going to give up even if people do. And they say, you know what? I'm going to keep fighting. And the churches gather together and they keep fighting. And then all of a sudden we begin to see that, that no longer do we feel like the world is winning and, and, and we care about and the things that are happening in our world are just always negative. We begin to see light popping up in all these dark places. And it's because the faithfulness of certain followers of Jesus begins to, to, to spur on the faithfulness of other people. And then we see great movements of God happen. But oftentimes it starts with one, two, or a small group. So here's the questions I have for you today as we're going to wrap this up. Number one is this. Is faithfulness marking your life? Are you being loyal to God? Are you being locked into God? Are you, are you driving forward, not, not in perfection, but are you striving to be faithful? And when you realize that you haven't been faithful, are you turning back to God to ask for his forgiveness and his strength so you can be better next time and you can be more faithful next time? Or, or is faithfulness one of those things that you're just not seeing in your life? But not just are you being faithful. Here's kind of the takeaway question for, for today. I want you to write this down. Is are others more faithful to God because of the faithfulness they see in you? So not just am I being more faithful, but are others being more faithful to God because of the faithfulness they see in me? Because here's the thing. Every single person here has somebody who's looking at you. Might be your kids, might be your spouse, might be a coworker, might be the people in your algebra class. But people are looking at you. And so not only are you being faithful, but sometimes the easier way to determine that is, is am I causing others and leading others to become more faithful? Are your kids more faithful to Jesus because they see your faithfulness? Is your spouse more faithful to Jesus and more open to Jesus because he or she sees the faithfulness you have to him? Do your coworkers know there's something different about you? And yeah, it may not be the face of an angel, but when they see you and they know you, they just know there's something more. See, if we're going to be those people, we've got to come back to that truth that we saw in Stephen's life and every person we've looked at, is that the way that they were able to be used by God was because they had said yes to God and they were full of his power and his spirit. So as we move into this time of response, we're going to sing a song together and we're going to talk about God's spirit. 
And we're going to pray for God's spirit. We're going to pray that God's spirit would come and God's spirit would allow us to, uh, to just know him more and be empowered more by him. And that he will make us more and more faithful. Will you stand with me as we pray? Father God, we come in this time and God, we want to thank you. We thank you for Luke and for his God calling to, to write this account of Acts. God, to tell us about a man like Stephen, whose faithfulness, God, was ultimately because of you and his, your power in his life, but who lived his life in a faithful way and even died being faithful to you. And God, it's a great reminder that if we want to be those ordinary people that God uses in extraordinary ways, it's about our choosing to be faithful. And so God, as we sing this song together, I ask that you would examine our hearts, reveal to us, God, the areas in our life where we're faithful, reveal to us, God, the areas in our life where we need to repent, we need to turn, and we need to choose to go a different direction to follow you. God, encourage us today if we're going through hard times. God, strengthen us if we're going through difficulty. And God, just allow us to to see the true picture of, God, what you want to do in and through our life, through your spirit. So in your name we pray and we give you this time. Amen. Let's sing together.